Good morning. It is wonderful to be here this morning and think about what it means to be, have a healthy church. Uh, we we uh, put these banners up at the beginning of the year, and we've slowly been talking about a lot of them. And, and, and I want us this morning to come to one that, uh, well, I don't know how excited you've been about it, but it's, it's, it's one that I think can really push us in our faith. And, and, and it's, it's, it's this fifth banner over here that healthy churches have deep theology. I don't know how much we think about each one of ourselves as theologians, but there is a sense in which every one of us is a theologian. Because every one of us has certain things that we believe about God. We have certain things that we understand about God. Now, some people are not very good theologians. Some people have very bad theology. But everyone has an idea, and that whether it's something that is articulated or it's something that's just lived out, we, we all have those concepts. And here's why this is important. Because theology is not just some uh, academic pursuit. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, when I think of a, someone talking about theology, I think of a, like a, this big, long beard, um, maybe not as long as yours, Carl, but, but uh, I, I think of this guy w- w- with a beard, you know, maybe even like smoking a pipe or something and just waxing eloquently about God and who God is. But, but listen, th- th- there may be a sense in which there's some theology that's done in that way. But I want us to know that theology is done in this room. Um, theology is done in your life. Because what you believe about God impacts who you are. It, it impacts how you respond. It impacts how you live. It impacts what you say. And if we, ha- and if we don't have deep theology, if we don't have really sound theology, then we're going to do it wrong. Life, that is. We're going, to, we're going to make choices in our life that are based upon false ideas, not even understanding what, what it is that we're doing. So when we think about what, what it is that we believe about God, what, what do you believe about God? Uh, about maybe, uh, maybe the very identity of God. How do you know? How do you know that there's a God? I mean, do you, do you have that work through in your mind? Because I'm convinced that there are a lot of people who have never really thought about, how do I know that there is a God? I've always been told there's a God. My parents told me there was a God. My grandparents told me there was a God. But, but I want to get down to the point, though, I know that there's a God. Well, I understand what it is that the Bible is saying when it says it is the fool who has said in his heart there is no God. And if, if I could paraphrase what, 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 what we see in Proverbs, he's saying that it's the fool, it's the person who can't really do the math based on what, what's given to us in this world who would say such a thing. But by the same token, do I really understand why there is a God? Why, why do I believe that there's only one God instead of many gods? Uh, we see in our biblical text and we see in our world today that, that there are many different gods that people bow down before, sometimes in a very physical form of, of an idol. But, but, but we look in our culture where, where we see people worshiping and bowing down at many, many idols. Well, if you know that there's only one God, how do you know that your God is the God? Because there are many people in this world who would speak of gods that you don't even know anything about. How do I know? How do I know that Yahweh is the one and the true and the living God? Well, when I think about the nature of God, do, do, do I believe that God is all love? I know God is love, but, but if I think that God is all love and there's nothing else to Him, 
then that's going to shape the way that I live my life. Many people who, many people who, who would speak of the justification of all sorts of sinful things, and not justification through the blood of Christ, but simply justification from, from, from the fact that, well, God is love. And of course, of course, if you love people, then you don't speak against sin. Their theology affects how they interact with others. There are those who believe that God is all wrath. There are those who think that God is just following us around, just almost rooting for us to mess up so, so, so that he can strike. And, and by the way, most people don't articulate these things, but you know people believe these things. Many people are scared to death of God. They walk around. They walk around. I'm not talking about reverence, but they walk around not not, not able to embrace God, not, not able to pray to God, not able to bear themselves to God because they believe that God, that God is just looking or, or hoping for, for an opportunity to strike them. Do we serve a God who cares about and knows about the little things in life? Or do we serve a God who only knows about the big things in life? I mean, is the God that, that you serve, is, is it the God who is who knows when a, when a bird falls from the sky and can tell you the number of hairs that you have on your head? Or is he only the God that just really wants you to consider him when it comes to deciding what you're going to do for a living or who you're going to marry or, you know, those, those major decisions in life? What sort of a God do you serve? As, as we think about the nature of God, does, do we serve a God who knows everything? I mean, does he really know everything about everything about everything? Does he really know everything that you've done, everything that you're going to do? Does he know everything that you've said? Does he know everything that you've thought? I mean, is, is this a God that we can, you know, we, we can show up on Sunday and we can worship him and act like, act like we haven't lived, lived for the devil the rest of the week? People do that all the time, don't they? And whether they articulate it or not, it's because they have this view of God. That somehow God doesn't really know, or at least he's not calling me on it. So what do we believe about God? Do, what do we believe about the revelation of God? Has God revealed his word to us? I, I mean, I, I stand here and I, I would tell you that, that, that I believe that, that this is God's inspired word. That this is a message that is breathed by God himself. It's going to impact the, the, the things that I preach and the things that I teach about. It's going to impact the things that I say and the direction of my life. But do we really believe that? I'm not asking you what are we supposed to believe, right? Uh, sometimes you'll see on uh, television news, news pundits and things like that, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about when you do surveys over the phone that there's this pressure for people to, uh, for people to answer in certain ways. And so a lot of times that, that, that skews reality from surveys. Because I don't want to act like this when somebody asks me this question. And so I know what the right answer is when I say, do you believe that the Bible is God's inspired word? Uh, by the way, here on Sunday morning at the Forest Park Church of Christ, what's the right answer? Yes. Amen. Okay. Yeah. That's the right answer. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. But I'm asking us, do we really believe it? Do I really believe that I have within my hands something that has come from the one who spoke the world into existence? Do I believe that? And if the last time I picked up my Bible was last Sunday, do I really believe that? I gotta ask that question, right? I gotta ask that question. 
What I really believe about God impacts the life that I live. It impacts who I am. Each one of these questions I'm asking you could be lessons and series of lessons and so on and so forth. But, but, but to understand, do, to think about our God, about a God who has promised us certain things. I mean, when he says, and I will be with you. Do we really believe that God is with us? Do, do we really believe that as we go throughout this life, he is there with us? Not just in this moment, but in every moment of our life, whether it's good or bad or it's difficult. Do we believe that this thing that we're calling life, that we're not actually doing this all by ourselves? When, when, when he says there in Romans chapter 8 that God worketh all things together for good to those who love the Lord, do we, do we believe that? Because life will put that to the test, won't it? And whether or not we're, we're a people that are filled with incredible anxiety and our world is falling apart, or we have a peace that passes all understanding, do you know what the difference in those two people are? It's the God that they serve. Not the reality of the God that they serve. It is our, their understanding and their not only academically but emotional embrace of the God that they served. So when we think about theology, and not just theology, but, but deep theology, it's diving deep. Not just to what do you believe, but why do you believe that? Do, do you have an understanding of, of what lies behind that? So we, we could walk through the, the, the steps of salvation here, believe, confess, repent, be baptized, right? I mean, I, I've taught that. Five fingers, you're on the mission field, and you've got 45 minutes to share the gospel. Go, okay? Well, okay, that's probably what, what we're going to do. But, but what lies behind that? Do I understand God's scheme of redemption? Do I understand that every, every word in this, in this book is all about the salvation of mankind? Do, do I understand the, the, the place that, that sin and the death of the Son of God plays in my eternal redemption? And how, and how that gives everything that we do, it gives it meaning? Or do I think, well, you know, it's just about going and going under the water and coming back out and going on about your business? Is that, is that really what baptism is? If, if that's what I think it is, it's going to be a very a flippant thing. Well, okay, I did what he said to do, now I can move on with my life. Or do I understand this is about being born again, and everything is about that. Listen, we have great movements, the theological movements in our world today that want to, that want to present the gospel, but in some way they think it's inappropriate to talk about sin. Or they think it's inappropriate to talk about a bloody cross. Can I just tell you that if you take either one of those two elements out, you don't really have the gospel? You have what Paul's talking about there in Galatians when, when he says you, you, you've went to another gospel. I mean, you still got some kind of key things and you're still talking about God and Jesus, but you have just gutted it. What do you believe? What, what is behind the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots? All the things that we're not supposed to do. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, I mean, you don't, I mean, all of these things and these rules that we look at, is it, is it just a big list that we look at? Or do we understand that sin by its very concept is a, is a reflection or is a violation of the nature of God himself? Do I understand that when I sin, I am in an affront to God himself? that I'm failing to reflect His glory, and when I pursue righteousness, why should I serve others? Why should I humble myself? 
Well, because this is about reflecting God. On and on we could go. I'm asking us, what do you think about God? And we need to spend some time thinking about God because if I don't have a good understanding of who God is, how He reveals Himself, what does He say to His creation? How does He interact with His creation? If I have a bad theology, then I'm going to have a bad life. So on one mark of a healthy church is to have a deep theology. There are some churches that you will go to and there are some people that you will talk to that have a theology that is, it is a mile wide and it's about an inch deep. Have you talked to people like that? And they can speak of God in incredibly flowery language and they can go on and on, but there's just not any depth to it. Healthy churches have a deep theology that impacts the life that we live. Let me give you three examples. Let me give you three examples before we move on of of situations where theology has impacted life. Uh, All of us, or at least all of us of of any any age, remember the terrorist attacks of 9-11. I mean, it's one of the most monumental days in, in in my lifetime at least. Where, where there were men who hijacked jet airliners and they flew them into the World Trade Center. 3,000, almost 3,000 people died on that day. Some people burned to death, some people fell to, the, f- f- fell to their death. Many other people have died from, from the repercussions of what they did on that day. We look at that and we say, why? Why would somebody take a, take a jet and fly it into a into a skyscraper to murder all of those people. You know why they did that? Theology. That's why they did what they did. They did it because of theology. See, they had an idea about how God, about how God, their one God, has revealed Himself. And we could think about the prophet Muhammad and, and his rejection of Jesus as the Son of God. But but, but th- th- this, this worldview that they have of a God that they have to defend. S- sometimes people talk about Islam as an, as an honor religion, right? It's, it's a religion wherein you have to defend the honor of God. That, that's why you'll see people, you know, someone will write a funny little cartoon about, about some r- religious group, and the next thing you know, there are bombs blowing up in, in, in their newspaper office. And as Christians, we look at that and we say, what in the world? I mean, people, people make disrespectful comments and, and little pictures about Christians all the time. And, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see any, 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 of those, uh, any of those Church of Christ folks out there blowing people up. It's the difference in our theology. Because they're a part of a theology where you have to defend the honor of God. Jesus and Christianity is, is the exact opposite of that, right? I don't have to defend, I don't have to defend the honor of God. I'm going to leave room for the wrath of God. I mean, God says if, if his kingdom were of this world, then he, we would take up swords and we would fight, but it's not. There's a difference in our theology. These, these men believed in, in the jihad, that, that all of the unbelievers had to be punished. And they believed that when they died in that pursuit, that one day God was going to provide for them 70 virgins as a great reward for the thing that they did on September the 11th, 2001. They did that because of theology. They did that because they didn't understand God. 
They had bad theology. The truth is, most people in our nation could not comprehend why someone would do something like that. It's horrible and terrible and sinful and all of that. But, but to understand why we couldn't understand it, it's because we live in a society that doesn't really understand theology as something that changes us. The idea that a man would do something, even at the expense of his own life, simply because of what he believes in God. That's why they did what they did, because of theology. This, this last week, um, you probably saw in, in your newspaper, I, I don't know when the last time I read a newspaper was, so I don't know why I said that, but you, you, you probably saw on your news feed, uh, on, on, on your Facebook or on Fox News, about an abortion law that was passed in the state of Alabama. Alabama passed a law that outlawed, outlawed abortion uh, with almost no exceptions, only, only in the case when the life of the, of the mother was in jeopardy, uh, n- not even when her health was in jeopardy, because that's taken sometimes for mental health, wasn't allowed, not, not, not even in cases of, of rape or of incest. Th- th- they simply passed a law that said it's, it's wrong, it's illegal, Okay, and they're not even using the word sinful, but, but it's, it's illegal in, in that sense to go in and to murder a child in the mother's womb, no matter how that child got there. And probably what you saw, if your newsfeed was much like mine, there was outrage about this. And a lot of people said a lot of good things about it, but a lot of people had outrage. And, and, they, and they said, do you know why they did what they did? And I read several articles about that, because I want to see, like, how, are people seeing, how are people seeing these things? And one article in particular, very matter-of-factly, said the reason that they passed a law like that was simply because they want to oppress women. They just want to tell women what to do with their bodies. Can I tell you, I don't know any of these people that passed that law, but I think, I think it's a very good law. I think it's, it's an appropriate law for us to stand up against the murder of unborn children. But, but I feel very, very confident saying it didn't have anything to do with oppression. It didn't have anything to do with some white man somewhere telling women what to do with their bodies. But people think it does because they don't know anything about theology. Because they don't allow, they don't, they don't allow their understanding of who God is to impact the choices that we make. That law was passed. I feel quite confident in this. Because there were a group of people who believed that there actually is a God who created man. And he created man in his very image. And because he created man in his image, that life, whether it's in the womb or it's in a nursing home somewhere, that life, no matter how defenseless it may be, has value. And it ought to be protected. And not even the circumstances that bring it about cheapen that truth or cheapen that value of life i'm telling you that was a law that was all about theology theology matters because theology impacts the lives that we live and how we respond to the situations of life let me give you one more example some of you have have followed along um, the the situation with our brother don blackwell if you don't know Brother Don, uh, Don is the director of the um, um, GBN, the Gospel Broadcast Network. 
Um, one of the elders for the South Haven congregation has held a lot of meetings in this area, does a lot of preaching in, in a lot of different places. But just a few weeks ago, uh, Don, who's just a little bit older than me, actually had, had lunch with Don at a Longhorn in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, just about eight months ago, and sat there with him and his wife and talked about their plans for the future and their families and things of that nature. But about two weeks ago, Don was involved in a four-wheeler accident. Don't even know all the details of it. We've, we've prayed for them, but, but suffered the, the, the severing of his spinal cord. That's a life changer, guys. That's a life changer. I can't imagine not only the physical pain that Brother Don's going through, which, by the way, the family has requested as they've moved him to Atlanta that we would pray for his level of pain so that he can pursue his therapy that, that he needs there. But just the emotional toll. I mean, can you imagine if one day you're out having a good time riding around on a four-wheeler and the next you'll never walk again? I, I, I mean, I make lots of jokes about my finger, and I, if you don't know, I've lost half a finger about five years ago. And one thing I was shocked with was how, how difficult that was emotionally. That's half a finger spin. I'm going to be all right. Okay? Paralyzed for the rest of your life? Listen to what he wrote. This is, uh, this is from his Facebook. He said, Presently, I still have some fractured vertebrae in my back and in my neck. I have a cracked sternum. I also have a severed spinal cord and am completely paralyzed from the waist down. I'll be receiving treatment plus occupational and physical therapy to help me learn how to function without the use of my legs. I mean, I don't know what you posted on Facebook this week, but can you imagine if that's what you put on Facebook? I don't think I'm ever going to walk again. Listen to what he says from that point. That, that's, that was the news. That was the news part. That was the facts, right? I'm talking, I want to see the response. I do not believe that my preaching or work in the Lord's kingdom will be slowed down. In fact, I expect this new life situation will open some doors of opportunity for me. Please keep us in your prayers. And I read that and I said, okay, how do you say that? How do you get the news that I'm never going to walk again? And I know that's going to change everything in my life. My life, which, by the way, I've given to the, to the Lord's service. And now I'm given this incredible blow. And I come forth, and instead of just being a puddle, which I'm sure he has his moments where I'm over in the corner crying, I'm coming out there before the world, and I'm saying this, and he said this on many occasions, I believe that this might turn into a blessing for the cause of our Lord. How do you say something like that? Theology. What you believe about God in that moment of great trial in your life, what you really believe about God, not just what you give as the answer on the test, what you really believe about God, it will change your response to the situations of life. Here is a man who believes that God is with him. Here is a, God who, here, here is a man who believes that there truly is a God who actually will worketh all things together for good. All things, including my own paralyzation. It, it reminded me of the words of Paul. Remember in Philippians chapter 1 when Paul found himself in a Roman prison and all the brethren were worried and they were fretting and they were, you know, what's going to happen to Paul? And Paul writes to them in Philippians 1 and verse 12. He said, I want you to know, brethren, 
that the things which happened to me, right, being carried away, being a prisoner, being under arrest continually, those things have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm telling us that theology matters. Theology matters when you talk about the positive things in your life and the negative things in your life. And if you don't have a deep theology, if you don't have a deep theology, you don't have the tools that are needed that God wants you to have to have a holy and a righteous life, to deal, to deal even with, with the arrows of Satan himself. Theology matters. Look in your Bibles in Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 2. It's a passage that we've, we've looked at before, but, but here we see Nadab and Abihu, the, the sons of Aaron. These, and by the way, these, these are not just country bumpkins who just fell off the, the turnip truck and now that, you know, they're being silly in worship. These are the sons of the high priest who have just went through the, the, the rituals of consecration to be the ones who would be the spiritual leaders. If you want to read the, the 10 chapters that, that, that lead up to this, these were guys who were important. And we read there in Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 2, and then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Each took his censer and put fire on it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. I mean, you're trying to picture what, what that would be if you got up this morning and, and you know what? I mean, with, with all the best of intention, you come and you say, I'm going to worship God. And I put on my Sunday best and I, and, and, and I, sing, I sing to the best of my ability. And I'm, I'm actually showing up, which we would think showing up is better than not showing up. Because there's a lot of people in this world who don't show up. And then, and then God sends fire from heaven and burns you to a crisp in that moment. What in the world? What's going on there? And, and we, know, we know that these two sons had a father, right? These are the sons of Aaron. And we know that their father had a similar reaction. Because in the next verse, it's going to end by saying, and Aaron held his peace. Right? But if you hold your peace, it means you got something you'd really like to say. One of the great marks of wisdom that some of us need to learn is how to hold our peace. Right? Not to just say everything that we want to say, when we want to say it, how we want to say it. And if you haven't learned that lesson, then, well, maybe life will keep beating you upside the head because you keep saying it. But Aaron held his peace. Why? Moses steps in, and he says, it's really interesting to me. Moses steps in, but if you can, if you will, between Aaron and God, as Aaron's about to, to object to what's been done. And he said, this, what? This, this thing that baffles our mind, right? That God, would, that God would destroy someone for worshiping Him. So if I could sum it down, that, that's really what happened, right? But lots of examples like that in the, in the Old Testament, but this is just one. This example of God condemning someone for actually worshiping God. This is what the Lord spoke. Saying, he, by the way, He's not going to talk about fire here. Not. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Before all the people, I must be glorified. Moses says, Aaron, this is not about the fire. 
Aaron, this is not about your sons. I know you think it's about the fire. I know you think it's about your sons. This is about God. This is about how you view God. This is about how the nation views God. This is what God said. You're going to regard me as holy. When you come before me, you don't, you, you don't, come, you don't come with this unauthorized or this profane fire. See, we, we think it's about the fire, but it's not. It's really about God. But we, we think about our worship and, and maybe some, some of the, the unique things of our worship. Uh, all my life, people, well, you're, you're the people that are you're, you're against using instruments in worship. Yes and, and no. I mean, the, the, yes, that's a factually true statement, but if that's what you say about me, if you say, well, you're those people that are against instruments, I'm just going to tell you there's something a whole lot deeper than that. Like, I can't turn in my Bible and find anywhere where it says, thou shalt not worship God with a 10-piece band. I don't, I mean, I don't know, Chance, is that in your Bible? I mean, this is not, I mean, so I'm not sitting up here making this, this argument like that. I'm telling you it's not about the instrument. That's not why we're not worshiping God with an instrument. We're not worshiping God with an instrument because I don't see anywhere in the New Testament that we have authority to worship God in that way. It's unauthorized. So it's really not about an instrument, it's about God. How do we view God? How do we view God's revelation? You could say, well, Wes, I mean, yeah, you're, I'm opposed to, I'm opposed to the, um, the, the, the clapping of hands as an act of worship. I've been in a lot of churches over the last couple of years, even in this area, where they, they use this phrase, let's give them a hand clap of praise. I mean, I just don't see it in my Bible. It's not there. So I'm not doing it like that. I'm, you know what? I'm opposed to teaching of, of religious holy days that we don't read about in the Bible. And that doesn't mean that your family can't get together and, and you know, have an egg hunt around Easter time and exchange presents around Christmas. But, but I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, this is the day that Jesus Christ was born into this world. I don't read that in the Bible. I could, but I don't. It's not there. I'm, I'm opposed... I'm opposed to having a pope that will rule over the church. By the way, many people in this world think that's perfect. If the pope were to come to town, it would, it would do great things to our economy. I mean, you had to buy tickets and stay. The last time I was in Panama, the pope had just been there. Big deal. It was a big deal. I don't believe in that. Don't even know the man. But I just don't read about that in the Bible. Charles Spurgeon used to refer to all things that were unauthorized. He would say they are quite popish, okay? That's even part of how he referred to, to, to the use of the instrument. Spurgeon was a Baptist preacher, uh, I mean, an incredible preacher, but he, would, he was opposed to the use of instruments, he said, because it is quite popish, right? All he was saying is, it's just another, it's just another thing that I don't read about in the Bible. I'm opposed to having binding creeds as a source of authority. Hey, guess what, guys? I am opposed to the use of biscuits and gravy on the Lord's Supper. That is a true statement. But it doesn't really have anything to do with biscuits and gravy. I like biscuits and gravy. It's about God and how we approach God. I'm telling us that theology matters. What I am for is worshiping God in ways that He has authorized. You see how this, this, is, not, this is not something that's an inch deep. 
right? This is something that's going to take time and years to develop our theology. I hear people all the time say, well, I'm against this and I'm against Well, why? Because if I don't understand why, then I don't see why it's such a big deal to, to, to the world. There are many things that we might be opposed to that seem very, very arbitrary to them. And I need to acknowledge that. Because they're going to seem arbitrary if I don't have the depth of understanding God. It's the same thing for our children. Why do young people grow up and all of a sudden the things that they've been taught all their life, they're just not all that important? In many cases, it's because they don't understand why they believe it. I know what I'm supposed to say. I know what I'm supposed to believe, but I don't have a clue why, we, why would we believe that? Paul would write to the young preacher Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and he says, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do I believe that I have the Word of God? Makes a big difference. So, so if you're out there studying the Bible with many people, people will many times tell you about what God has shared with them. People will speak of what God has shared with their prophets and their church. And I've, I've told you this before, I'm, I'm not one to tell you, well, you never had this experience or they didn't. I don't know. I wasn't there. But can I tell you, this is God's word. And, 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 if, and if, what, if what Mark is telling me, if, if, if what he is telling me about what this voice has said to him is not consistent with what I know God has revealed, then might I consider that there's some spirit besides the spirit of God that's spoken to him? What do I believe about the Bible? Do I read it? How many of us get excited? Man, the latest movie's coming out, right? Latest movie's coming out. I, I mean, I love going to the movies. Had it on my calendar, right? Movie came out a couple weeks ago, and my wife scheduled something on that very night. I said, what are you doing? I got plans on that night. I've been planning for months for this, right? She said, you go to my thing. You watch your movie later. Another lesson for another time, right? Submission. We'll talk about it later. I went to her thing. You know how that works. But the, you know, the, the, the latest book that's coming out, the latest television show, the, the, this speaker's, I mean, all these things. The Word of God. How many of us have taken time to read the Word of God? I've got to ask that question. I mean, so we're doing this thing this month, is read the, read the New Testament in 30 days. Woo, it's tough, okay? Finding the time. Sundays are really hard to find the time, right? That's rather ironic, but they're really hard to find the time. But the whole purpose of it is, I want to read the Word of God because it's the words of life. I mean, I come and I listen. I listen to what Wes. Don't listen to what Wes says. Well, I'm going to come to Bible class. It's not about your Bible. Read the Word of God because it's the Word of God. Can I tell you that? I mean, it's the audacity. It's the audacity of a preacher that sometimes I will say things from this pulpit that I would never say. Of my own initiative. Like, just, this is too controversial, right? I just know how that's going to play with the ears of everyone if it were not for the fact that that's what the Word of God says. There's a way that seemeth right to a man. Listen, if, if, if everything that, that I'm preaching or everything that I'm hearing or everything that, that you're hearing is always exactly what I think it ought to be, 
you better take a step back. If, if, if something doesn't make you uncomfortable, if something's not pushing you, I mean, I made this, this is a dangerous statement to make, but, but if you've got a preacher and, and he hasn't challenged you in any shape, form, or fashion in the last three years, you need to get another preacher. Because he's not preaching the Word of God, because I'm going to tell you the Word of God's going to challenge you. I know, God, by the way, if he hadn't comforted you in the last three years, get another preacher too, okay? Because it's going to comfort you. But, but this is the nature of God's Word. Do I spend any time in it? Do I spend any time in it? I don't know, you don't know 30 minutes a day. Maybe that's too much. Let's, let's go for five. Why is, it, why is it that we have around 340 members and we are really excited that our daily Bible readers are up to 100? I mean, to me, I'm going I'm to channel my, my Doug Jones uh, from before they moved away. Th- that's sad. I mean, and I don't know if we're maybe, maybe we're just not writing it on our cards, but if we really believe in God, and we really believe this is His revelation, and you're telling me that we don't spend any time during our day? Any time? There's something wrong in the focus of our life. Theology matters. Deep theology matters. Because it changes who you are. It changes how you live. It changes the the decisions that you make with your life, it will change even how you think about the most devastating set of circumstances. Your theology will impact what you're going to do on your summer vacation. Your theology is going to impact what you do this afternoon. Your theology is going to impact how you think about death. Your theology is going to impact, I mean, literally everything in your life. It's going to impact what sort of a parent you are, what sort of a child you are, what sort of a husband you are, what sort of a wife you are, what sort of an employee you are. Not, not to say, well, okay, I believe in God. Okay, are we showing that? So we send this invitation, and it's an invitation for, for people to come and, and, and to respond to the gospel, Right? An invitation for people to come to, to be baptized. And that's a wonderful thing whenever, whenever, that, whenever that happens. But, but there's a whole lot more going on than people getting wet. I tell you, from, from, from a physical perspective, I always think the same thing when people are baptized. I always think, is that it? I mean, it just, I mean it's 15 seconds, in and out, let's go home, right? But do I understand? Do I understand my problem of sin? Do I understand the affront and the division that that causes before my God? Do I understand the grief that has been in His heart, the sacrifice that He has made, the burden that that the Son of God has has paid on the cross on my behalf? Do I understand the grace of God in giving me something that I don't deserve? That's theology, right? It's not just, yeah, you you, you need to be immersed and go on about your life. In which case, you just got wet. He says, I want you to go deep. I want you to repent of sin in your life. I mean, why would we? I mean, it gets personal in a hurry, doesn't it? Those things, maybe everybody knows about it. Maybe only you know about it. Why, why would we get so personal? Because this is the most personal thing you'll ever do. We're talking about a God who knows. He knows. He knows you. He knows me. And He still dies for you. And He still invites you. And He's... In, not one man speaking to another man about what you ought to do with your life, but 
a creator speaking to his creation, saying, I still love you. And I will punish you. I will punish you if you, reject, if you continue to reject me. But until that day, I will continue to invite. I'm asking you to change, and I'm telling you that I will walk with you, and I will strengthen you so that you might change. But if you don't have theology, then you don't believe any of that. You just think it's not some preacher talking about that subject again that's talking about me, and I don't like it. Where's our theology? To have a peace that passes all understanding. I'm not talking about the peace that we understand. Somebody might come to me and say, Wes, I got a problem. Okay, well, let me help you, right? Maybe I can do something about that. I, maybe I can fix it. Maybe I can, I can smooth it over. I can give you the right words or the right time or I can explain the right thing. That's not the peace that Paul's talking about. That's a peace that makes sense. You can fix my problem, right? You can write a check. You can spend time. All those things that we can do. He says, I'm talking about a peace that passes understanding. I'm talking about having peace when there's nothing Wes can do about it. And there's nothing any man can do about it. But I know that God is in control. And therefore, I have peace that passes understanding. How big is your God? See, that's why theology matters. It's not about some academic setting. Whether we know it or not, what we know about God, what we believe about Him and His nature and His revelation and, and, and man's, man's relationship with Him, it affects us in every moment of our life. So that God who spoke us into existence, that God who gives us the very breath that we just breathed, that God, that God who one day will judge every one of us, that God, He continues to invite us to come to Him. You come and you be in awe of that God as we stand and as we sing.